we kick off this new four-week teaching series called This Is Mercy Road, we're going to start dealing with the real-life complications that every person in this room deals with. And we're going to start letting some things that we've been hiding in the darkness come to light. That's our goal. That's our hope. If anybody's seen the TV series, This Is Us, yeah, man, I, I don't care how stern and strong you are emotionally as a human being. You watch that show, the floodgates are going to open, man. I, f- I find myself like guy crying all the time. You know what I'm talking about? You lean to one side and it's just like draining out the side of your eye. And I'm always like, no, honey, I just got something in my eye. I'm cool. I'm good. No, you got a lot of stuff in your eye when you watch that TV show because it is emotional. And there are people in this room and in our church who are living with real life emotional situations every single day. And we're going to stop allowing the enemy to keep us in guilt and shame over those real life issues. If you have a Bible, power it on or turn the one in your book rack to 1 John chapter 1. As you're turning to 1 John chapter 1, you know, I, I think of this. I'm, I'm a product of the 90s, so like if you don't identify with this, it's cool. But you remember that TV show on MTV, The Real World? It was a terrible show. Don't watch it. But like, you remember that show? I'm going to stop being polite and start being real, the real world. That's what we want to do as a church. Ironically, there was nothing real about that show whatsoever. But we're going to stop being polite and start being real and deal with the real life situation. You're going to hear from a couple in our church, on our staff, that for the first time is sharing their story. It's over four years in the making. It's taking a lot of courage to share this. I didn't even ask them to. When we decided we wanted, after seven years as a church and all the life change and the thousands of people who have made professions of faith in Jesus, the hundreds of people who have been baptized and been discipled and lived on mission, we want you to start getting comfortable sharing what God is doing in your life. To not hide it from the world. To not be ashamed of it or the guilt of your past. But to be freed from that baggage and start to live differently. Are you ready to study God's word, church? Yeah, come on now. Here we go. I love it. Beginning in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, it says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. If you're new to uh, 1 John, this was written by the Apostle John. It was a later letter, one of the last uh, books that got into the Bible. In fact, He was writing during a time in the 90s AD when one of the first heretical groups began to develop. It was the Nicolaitans that he addresses there that will one day become what today we know as Gnosticism. You don't need to remember all that, but I share that because at Easter time when the History Channel plays like these lost gospels of the gospel of Judas or Thomas or Peter and all that, there's a reason those aren't in the Bible. Uh, Those were written by Gnostics. They didn't actually believe that Jesus came in the flesh, was fully God, fully human, like Christians have always believed. And so the early uh, Christians saw that as heretical as they should have. And so I share that with you because John is writing to a context that has drifted very far from God. And he's addressing what's happening in the world and the culture around them and the temptations that they are faced with. And he said in that verse that we can't live in the darkness We have to live in the light. Now, of course, that's talking about that if you profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you consider yourself a Christian, that you should actually reflect that in your life and not do the things that happen evilly in the the darkness, right? The evil that can happen in those spaces. 
But it also, I believe, is saying that as a Christian, you should not be hiding things in that darkness to be ashamed to live in guilt of it, but allow those things to come to light. My wife, Lisa, and I will often talk about, we want to be able to talk about anything in our life. We want to be an open book because we know there's nothing we should have to hide as followers of Jesus. The story you're going to hear today, they're going to let some things come to light that they have been walking through. And I want to encourage you over these next four weeks together to pray, what would this look like in my life to begin to not hide things in the darkness, but let it come to light? Verse seven, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. Two things there, that if we're honest and let things come to light, we can actually get to know each other in a real way. When did church become about a one-hour program that you experience, come in, walk out, and never talk to a human being? For those who are attending online right now and participating in that way, we welcome you. In fact, we didn't welcome you, so you want to put your hands together and welcome those who are attending online. And we invite you to share this with those in your sphere of influence. And you could log into Facebook Live right now or even mercyroad.tv and share this on social media. But even attending online, our hope isn't that you just watch this as a one-hour program, but you begin to relationally engage online. And we are starting online outposts. Because when we allow things to come to light and have real relationship with one another, then we can have that fellowship that we truly long for. The second thing the verse said is that because of the work of Jesus, any of us could be purified by him. Anybody in this space right now or attending online could draw near to the perfect God that created us. And you may have walked in here and be atheist or agnostic. I, I talked to a couple people just last night at the Saturday service that would consider themselves in that camp. And we want you to know we don't have any agenda for you other than to just introduce you to the God that we know in Scripture. Have you start trying to talk to him. See what that does in your life. Because I believe, we believe as Christians that anybody can draw near to God because of the work of Jesus, because of his crucifixion and his resurrection. We can be forgiven for anything in our past if we do this beautiful thing, which is repent and be honest about the things we've done in the darkness. That's why this is important. And that because he rose from the grave, we can live eternally with God in heaven one day and experience his work in our life. Now, we are never alone, no matter what we're facing in this world. And some of us are facing some really hard, complicated life situations. Would you agree? So the stuff that we're talking about, just like John was talking to the, to the Nicolaitans and to the Christians in his culture, this is really important. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and forgive us and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But it takes us being honest and confessing what's truly going on in our life. Now, I'm not talking about broadcasting this to people that don't really care about you. But I am talking about confessing what's truly going on in our lives, letting it come again from the darkness into the light. Anybody grow up Catholic in the room here? Okay, now, my two best friends growing up were Catholic. I, I've got nothing against Catholicism or anything like that, but obviously we believe as Protestant Christians that we don't need a priest in order to talk to God. We can talk directly to him because of the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus, like I just shared. Anybody can draw near to him. But actually, the act of confession centuries and centuries ago was originally a really beautiful thing. 
It was intended for you to have this healing process of having the humility to be honest and confess what was going on in your life so that you could be not only made right with God, but as confessing it to another human being. As James says, as 1 John says, it means that you could begin to find healing in your life. So some of us, as we come from the darkness into light over the next several weeks, the healing process that happens with those family members and friends and those who care about you in life could be a beautiful experience. Finally, verse 10 If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Every one of us in here has the temptation to hide things in our life. And our goal as a church over the next several weeks is that we could declare this statement. If you want to write this down on the back of the little flyer you got when you came in, it's time to let my story, my story come to light. It's your story. Nobody can take it from you. But to begin to not live in the shame and the guilt and the fear and the anxiety and begin to let it come to light out of the darkness. That's our desire. Will you pray with me? God, we confess we need you. We begin by acknowledging the presence of your Holy Spirit in the room. I thank you for all these people that came out on a weekend to to hear from your word. May you speak to us. May you take my words away and may you speak right to our souls. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You know, I I shared this story a while back, but raising kids is difficult work. And our oldest one, who's now in fourth grade, his name is Jake, when he was in kindergarten, he had a a couple of issues in the classroom. And while he's improved over the years, it's always a work in progress as parenting is. And anybody who has an elementary or especially a kindergarten child, you, are you familiar with the clip-up chart? Do you, do you know what I'm talking about when I say the clip-up chart? In his school system, it works like this. If you have good behavior on that day, when you do something good, as positive reinforcement, we clip you up on the chart. Well, tracking? And the colors change based on every time you clip up. So if you clipped all the way up to the top that year, it would go like purple. And eventually, I believe it was pink was the highest you could possibly get. That's really important. So, but for those that may struggle, you could clip down on the chart. And I believe you could end up red. Let's just be honest. Nobody wants to end up red, right? Unfortunately, my wonderful son had clipped down a few times in the classroom, And so in order to encourage positive reinforcements as good Christian parents, we told him, hey, if you clip up on the chart, Jake, we will allow you to play video games or do something on the phone for a few minutes when you come home during the day. Well, he was really excited about that. So here's what happened. Not one day, not two days, not one week, but for the next two weeks straight, he clipped all the way up to the pink at the very top. Lisa and I were ready to start writing the Christian parenting books. Like that's, you know, we had figured this thing out. A little positive, this, this parenting thing's easy. Well, you know what happened was after two weeks of clipping all the way to the top and enjoying video games, we got a call from the teacher. And he told, she told us, you know, I've been wondering how Jake has been clipping up on the chart. And when I asked him, he had been telling me that the assistant teacher had been clipping him up. But I just talked to the assistant teacher. Some of you see where this is going. (laughs) And she said that he's been telling her that I've been the one clipping him up on the chart. 
And what he had been doing in secret was telling this teacher that one was doing it, telling the other one the other one was doing it. And when they weren't looking, he would sneak over to the chart and clip himself up. <laughs> and then come home and celebrate his good behavior and enjoy the fruits of his labor. <laughs> For two weeks straight, he lived a lie. Obviously, he got in big trouble as a five-year-old. I don't even know how you think of something like that. It wasn't a fun next month for him, but it's not. <laughs> Amen? Amen? But it's not just kids that hide stuff. It's not just kids who live lies. This is not a place of condemnation, by the way, of judgment. We often talk about the scripture that teaches us there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but it is a place of reality and honesty. And if we could be okay to allow things to come to light because of the grace and forgiveness that our Savior offers us, but it takes this difficult work that takes humility, which is repentance. Here's the problem. There is a real spiritual battle going on for your soul that doesn't desire for you to be honest, to allow things to come from the darkness into the light. It wants you to hide stuff. It wants you to stray from what God's best work in your life is. And in chapter 2 of 1 John, in verse 16, it highlights three ways the enemy loves to tempt us in our culture to get us not to honor God, not to live in the light. It says this in verse 16, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The lust of the flesh, you're familiar with it, sexual temptation, that it gets you to do things that you know aren't honoring. The lust of the eyes, you see something that you just have to have, you're not content without it, you can't be happy, greed and avarice, it, it applies to your life, it gets you to purchase things on the television because you can't be happy unless you purchase that new car, you got to have it. By the way, a quick study, just watch the advertisements on TV when you go home, and they use these three temptations in order to get you to purchase things, right? If you're going to purchase perfume or cologne, sexual lust or apparel, it's going to use that, uh, the lust of the eyes to get you to purchase those new material possessions you can't live without, and then the pride of life, that you're important, you're powerful, you're prestigious, you're popular, and that forces your decision. And in some ways, that's the one we're going to deal with today. In some ways, the pride of life is the greatest of the three temptations. In fact, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity writes this, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity or sexual temptation, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and in every family since the world began. The big question I want to ask you, because pride is destructive in our marriages, in our relationships, in our workplaces, it's destructive to nations, as it said there in mere Christianity, and we get angry at the other side politically, and it's pride that drives a lot of these sinful actions in our lives. Where has pride crept into your life? Because as we read in earlier, no one's perfect. The temptation is there. What's it look like for you? Let's watch this seven-minute video and hear from a couple in our church that had to have incredible humility and address the pride in their life in order to see God work. It took over four years in the making. It took a lot of courage for Matt and Megan Mellinger on our staff to share this story. So I hope you will honor it and celebrate God's redemptive work. Let's watch this together. 
What do we start with? Hi. <laughs> Should we start with how we met? Sure. 2004. We met on MySpace. Um, 19 years old. You were 19. Old. So we started dating. I met some random boy from the internet that my mom just was thrilled with. Um, but he and his friends ended up um, leading me to the Lord, which was really incredible um, and just a huge point in my life. Fast forward, maybe we had known each other for a year or so, and we got engaged, and then we got married five months later. So really quick, really um, pretty young. We had a lot of people while we were on our honeymoon giving <laughs> us a hard time that we were babies and we got married, which we kind of were looking back on it. And then immediately um, just had two kids. Yep really quickly so our relationship was basically just you know when you have two little kids it's like that's where the focus goes we didn't really put too much time and energy um, on our relationship I think you know a lot of that time I was investing in my business I was not investing in you and that was um, I didn't know that at the time I just thought it was something that you know, it's like, this is what everybody has to do in their 20s when they're building something. So fast forward to 2015? Yeah, we were working here at Mercy Road. Um, actually, Josh asked me to be on staff before Matt, and Matt was the one that was always working, and I had never, I didn't have a job outside of the, the house. I was staying with our kids, and it was kind of exciting to be a part of, all of our staff always go through programs first as a staff, before we put it out to the church. So that was when TSM, the Significant Marriage, um, came around. So we started, we went through the Significant Marriage. As a staff. As a staff. Matt and I, knowing that our relationship probably isn't the strongest thing ever, we didn't really want to go through it. So we're going through TSM as a staff um, and we kind of get to this boiling point of this huge th this huge fight after day like two. I just, I remember like that evening, I, I blew up like I had done in the past and I got mad and I, I, I think I took my sandal off or something, I chucked it at the wall and it, it didn't hit anything but it hit the wall, mirror fell, it was like your favorite mirror and it broke and you got really upset. I got really upset and I left the house. I had never done that when we had gotten in an argument. Usually, you would leave. I would leave, drive around arguments the block. a lot. <laughs> so I left and I went and sat in a field and of course, Mary Gothi calls my phone. And I knew that we were supposed to meet with them about the significant marriage material that we were going through that, you know, we didn't want to tell anyone that we were having a fight every night at home or um, just like not connecting ever. Just separate separate from each other we'd never go to bed at the same time um, it it was tough and I didn't want to answer the phone and I just like for some reason I just I just answered it and I was crying and she's like hey hold on what's going on um, how about you guys come come in the morning and, and just meet with us and it, you're safe like everything's okay like we just want to help you I don't why am I being this way? Like, I don't know who this person is. Like, I would just lash out and be upset at you for things. And I think it was just rooted in the fact that I was afraid and I didn't know how to be a good leader. And I, I just kind of had all of these feelings kind of rush in at once. And I was just like, I don't want to be this way anymore. And uh, I saw that too. I saw Matt react in a way that I'd never seen him react before. I'd always react defensively. 
it was always like, well, it's because of, of this. Yeah, lots of anger and shouting and excuses, and he wasn't making any excuses. He was just owning it, and he started serving me. I read, I remembered a passage, uh, wives submit to your husbands, and husbands love your wives the way that Christ loved the church. And for the first time, I decided I'm just going to do that no matter what I get out of this. And I just I just started serving her. I would, I don't even know what I did, but you, I don't remember you, you any You started asking me, like, hey, Haiti, what do you need help with? What, what would make you happy today? He just started looking at me um, and loving me whether he got something out of it or not. All the meanwhile, I was carrying this huge secret that Matt didn't know and um, our staff didn't know that I, like, I got to a point during all of this. Leading up to the TSM. All of this like emotional, verbal abuse that was happening that I didn't understand that I had an affair. Um, I, for, for probably three months, it was like I was in a fog and I was just accepting all of these words and affirmations from someone else that I was longing to have from from that, but someone else was giving them to me, so I just took it. Um, like, I'm just not gonna. I, I'm I not wasn't gonna, gonna tell anyone. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna s- let it let it go. And be then something we- that happened and file it away. And I just felt like I, I I couldn't live like that. So I told Matt, and then I told um, I told Josh. I was afraid of. Um, being fired, of being told that I was dirt and can't work here anymore. Um, But none of that happened. Josh responded with like the most grace I'd ever seen, but it was really hard. I, you know, had to take a step back in leadership. I, we went to counseling. I had to give a timeline of events of everything that happened and I had to hand it to Matt and I had to hand it to my pastor and that was really terrible and awful to do but it it helped me walk through every single detail and choice that I made and find full complete forgiveness in it and, and learn and change and grow from it and if we weren't here at Mercy Road like I would have sat in that field that night and said I was done. I would have, I would have given up, and I would have not had the family that I have today. It really was. It was through Mercy. I mean, the name's perfect. Um, I'm, I'm eternally grateful for this place, and would not be even an ounce of the person that I've become, or, or the person that I want to be if it wasn't for this place. The vision and, and mission is so far bigger than just a building and, and just people. Um, it's it's really being the way that the way that Christ was, and, and I, I find it so much here. Love you. <laughs> Love you. You know, you can imagine that takes a lot of courage, not just to admit that several years ago, but to come up and talk about this today. I actually didn't ask them to do this when we were sharing this, this sermon series idea a couple of months ago, 
Megan uh, approached us and said they felt like they were ready to, to share this, and I thought it could help a lot of people. And I just want to clarify, because uh, in a moment I'm going to ask them to come up, uh, we're not saying this is your experience, and obviously it takes two people to have reconciliation and redemption in a relationship. I'm also not saying that there aren't choices when there's infidelity. Uh, this is a very complex, real-life issue. And so will you welcome Matt and Megan Mellinger up here as I ask them a few questions. Thanks, guys. Wow. You know, uh, what, what really struck me is, you know, was listening to the video of their story, having, you know, heard it several years ago, was the amount of humility it took to be able to go through what was a very difficult process of restoration. And so when I, I asked them if I could ask them just a couple of questions, and Matt, um, you know, I know we've done it to the other services, but the most powerful thing that I heard you share was you quoted that verse that wives submit to your husbands and husbands, you know, love your wives. And you focused on the second part, right? Like as the husbands, a lot of times we like to focus on that first part. Wives submit to your husband, but you applied what should apply to you. And so how did you, how did you do that? How did you begin to learn to love her regardless of what you got in return? Yeah, I, um, you know, I, I was hanging out with a friend of mine and he had said at the time, uh, he was like, be unoffendable. And the fact that it's not a real word in the English language, I was able to remember it. Um, so I, I actually looked up the definition of offended, and it says resentful or annoyed, typically as a result of a perceived insult. And so I think that's where I started. I just decided to, I'm not going to, you know, take the things that she's saying and run it through this weird filter that I have where, you know, she's attacking me. And so when she would start to say, like, hey, that shirt probably doesn't look very good on you, instead of being like, what do you mean? I'm awesome. I just decided that, like, I'm just going to hear what she has to say and just go, this probably, this probably doesn't look very good on me. So I just kind of started there. Right, because that was part of the issue, right? That, you know, I think it took a lot of humility to talk about pride of life to, to begin to say, hey, look, Megan made some poor choices, but you, you made some choices long before that that contributed to some of the issues in your relationship. That takes a lot of humility. And so, you know, and, and not getting so easily offended and blowing up, and you, you both have called it verbal abuse, you know, it took a lot of work. And Megan, I asked you, you know, after you filmed the video, you talked about how the one thing that was missing was really what helped you, you know, because when we first talked, I didn't share this at the other services, it, it was difficult for you to even admit that it was a, an affair because you just felt like you were receiving approval and attention from someone else that you really wanted from Matt and he wasn't offering. And getting to the point to admit that it was what it was, it, it took you understanding your identity in Christ. So you want to share what you, what you wrote? Yeah. I just asked you to read it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I sent him an email and I just said, what I didn't get to say in the video is the identity piece of my story. That through all of this, I found that I was putting my identity in so many other people's hands, including my husband's, um, and not in who God says that I am. I found my identity in Christ, which allowed me to be a better wife and a better woman because of his grace. So because of that, I could handle defeat, and I was okay to admit failure because I knew I was fully loved despite all of that. Um, 
So we ended up sitting in a studio in our house and we wrote um, the verses to Child of the King, the song that's on the, the worship album here at Mercy Road. And I got a big tattoo on my arm to remind me every day of where my identity comes from. So beautiful. And I, you know, by the way, if you're a guest, the free gift at the guest center is a free copy of that worship album. It has the song Child of the King. And we're actually uh, going to close in worshiping to that song. So I hope it speaks to you. But the final thing, you know, for other couples who are out there struggling, what, what encouragement could you give them several years on the other side of this? Yeah, we're, we talk about that all the time, that we're just actually really so thankful that the whole thing happened, not that we want to go through it again or would ever wish it on anyone, but we're so thankful because it's made us so much stronger individually and as a team um, and just learning to communicate. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, too, um, don't be afraid to ask for help. Like, I think that's probably the biggest, like, again, talking about pride, you know, like, just admit that you maybe don't have it all together and that you don't have all the answers, and there's, you you can find out answers if you're just willing to to be, to, to just lay that down. And prayer was a big one, too. I mean, you had a whole prayer journal thing that you had written for years, and you gave it to me, like, I don't know, eight years after we were married. Yeah, and God had answered so many of those prayers through this. Oh, oh my goodness. Well, can we thank them for sharing this, for having the courage to do any of that? We love you guys. You know, it can be real easy to come in here, do the worship service thing, and not be honest about what's going on in our lives. And as we close out our time together, I, I hope that that is encouraging several years after it to see how the hard work, and by the way, it wasn't easy. Uh, Megan couldn't be in a video for six months. We had to uh, ask her to step out of leadership. They had to complete an entire restoration plan for their marriage, going to marriage counselors. Imagine writing that timeline and handing it to people. It's extremely difficult, embarrassing, guilt, shame, and that's why most of us would just throw in the towel and just quit on it. But to have the courage to say, I'm not going to hide in the darkness. I'm going to receive the grace and mercy and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to live in the light. I believe that that grace and that mercy and that forgiveness and that restoration, even though it will come with hard work, absolutely, is for everyone. If we just receive it. As we close our time, I just want to make two points based on what they said, two steps towards humble healing that they shared. And the, the first one was, I will lay down my right to be offended. And Ephesians 4.32 talks about receiving the grace and forgiveness to lead with that in your life. That it was only because of that Matt could begin to not blow up all the time to say that I want to have a healthy marriage. I'm going to have the humility to do that. I'm going to put my pride aside for a second. And secondly, that I will search for approval only from God. You know, that was really what Megan shared was she hadn't found her identity firmly rooted in Christ and she was looking for that identity in any external thing of what someone would offer them. Here's some signs that maybe you're longing for approval. I'll list several of them up on the screen. You obsess about what others think. You're overly sensitive. If you identify with any of these, you compromise your values. You hesitate sharing your faith. You have a hard time uh, saying no to people then maybe you're searching for approval from other people, the approval that you should only search from God. First Thessalonians 2 uh, verse 4 says this, On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God. 
to be entrusted with the gospel, his good news. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. I'm reminded of a story of this great piano player who played her largest concert hall, 3,000 people, and at the end of this long concert, the concert of her life, everyone stood up and gave her a standing ovation. People were crying tears of joy. They were whistling in the crowd, and she walked off the stage just bawling. Unfortunately, not tears of joy. She was sad, and someone noticed it. They said, why are you crying out of sadness? You just gave the, the greatest concert of your life. You got a standing ovation from everyone in the crowd. They're whistling and crying and cheering for you. And she said, yeah, but the one guy way at the top never stood up and never clapped. I said, well, who cares? You got the crowd, the adulation of all your peers celebrating you. Why do you care what one person thinks? She said, that was the only person that mattered because that was my teacher, my mentor, my master that I want to please. And he's the only one I'm concerned about. And the truth is, for most of us as Christians today, we still search, search for our approval and longing and appreciation from what other people think in our life rather than the only one that matters, which is God himself. As Megan shared, that, that because of the work of Jesus Christ, she can be called a daughter of God today. You are a child of the King and that is the only person, the only being that you should be concerned about whether they approve of you or not. But in order to do this, you have to come out of hiding in the darkness and begin to live in the life and not be ashamed and live in guilt over past decisions and baggage in your life, but do this beautiful thing, which is to be honest, to be real, and to repent of what you have accomplished and done in your past of your life and to not live in the shame and guilt of that any longer as the enemy would love for you to do, but instead freely share it, confess it, and to say, Lord, I surrender this to you. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. And that's why this church is named Mercy Road Church. This is Mercy Road. That anybody attending online or in this room can draw near to the perfect God because of the work of Jesus Christ, not because of our good works, but it takes us being honest to live in the light and to share it with God and with those who care about us. Will you pray with me? God, there are many of us in the room right now that we have been Christians a while and we got some things we've been hiding. We have been hiding it, God. And this isn't a place of condemnation. And so right now, we are going to admit to you in the quietness of this moment, not out loud, we are going to confess to you the thing that we have been hiding in dark places of our life to begin to bring it to light. You already know it, so why not just be honest? Start being real. If that's you in the room, it's got to probably be all of us. Will you pray with this with me? God, I confess that I hide some things from you from others I care about in my life. And I'm going to choose to not do that any longer. I'm going to let my story come to light. And so right now, do this. I confess to you those things in my life that I have been hiding. You already know them, God, but I'm just going to confess them so I can begin to, to have healing through humility rather than pride. 
Take 30 seconds, confess whatever that is, not out loud, but just the quietness of the moment. Confess it to him. We believe he is here with us. I believe he hears you and you can receive his forgiveness for that. God, we thank you for your grace and forgiveness and your mercy. And the truth is there are some of us in the room, we have known about you for a long time, but we have never surrendered our life to you. We have never fully invited you into our life. And so we're going to begin that right now. I'm not going to live in the darkness anymore. I will not be ashamed of your good news. I surrender everything in my life to you. If that's you right now, don't be ashamed of his good news. It's for you too, not just for the good people. So pray this with me. God, I confess I'm not perfect. Forgive me for my wrongdoing. I receive your grace and forgiveness fully in my life. And I do that beautiful thing of repenting, of confessing my wrongdoing to you right now. Take my guilt, take my shame. I surrender my life to you fully, Lord Jesus. May you use me for years to come. We love you, God. We thank you for the redemptive work you did in the Mellinger's family. And we pray you do it immeasurably more than the people that are attending this weekend. We love you and give you this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.